You're listening to Your Healthcare's So Broken with Rory Cusack-Weir, PhD. She's your doctorally trained epidemiologist, healthcare technologist, armchair comedian, and de facto care coordinator for herself and her loved ones. Hear real stories about the broken U.S. healthcare system from patients, caregivers, and subject matter experts. No joke, these podcasts could be life-changing or even life-saving. Hi, this is Rory Cusack-Weir. And you're listening to Your Healthcare So Broken, Episode 2, Part 1. This features Kathan Rituri, a patient, describing his experience navigating a narcolepsy diagnosis and associated academic and workplace accommodations. Kathan was joined and supported by his close childhood friend, PJ Kelly, who happens to be a close friend of mine. PJ, thank you so much for introducing me to Kathan, and Kathan, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast to share your story. Welcome back to the second episode of Your Healthcare is So Broken. Um, this is meant to bring some humor to otherwise very upsetting and challenging healthcare stories. So it's Your Healthcare is So Broken, like a yo mama joke, and a yo mama joke that somebody told me recently, I'm already cracking up before I even say it is um oh my gosh it's like your mom is so hungry or something that even the bears have to hide their food from her and i was like whoa <laughs> that's like me with some doritos and oreos am i right so it's stupid and yeah i just botched the punchline but more or less you get the gist and that's the whole point that i hope um from our guests you can understand much of his story and what's actionable from it so with that Nathan, your healthcare is so broken, you took a nap. And for people who don't know, there's this earworm song on TikTok that says, I had a lot of things to do today, but you know what I did instead? I took a nap. <laughs> well, thanks so much for having me. Uh, yep, so my name's, uh, as she said, Kathan Raturi. Um, I'm an uh, uh, information uh, systems architect who works in privacy. Um, I spent about 10 years in healthcare, uh, working on data security and privacy there, and I've worked at a couple of other companies and industries as well. Um, I, uh, I am a proud husband and a father. Uh, my son is nine months old, as of a couple days ago, Congrats. and it is wonderful. Um, we also have uh, two dogs and a cat, and we foster and volunteer for Stray Animal Adoption Program here in Northern Kentucky, actually, where we're located right now. Um, so we uh, foster, we have a foster dog named Shorty right now, so we foster dogs. My wife volunteers at the events and helps get stuff. It takes a special kind of person to work in healthcare, <laughs> as you did for many years, and I'm biased because I'm an animal rescue, but to do that as well, because it is uphill on both of those fronts. It is, it is. Well, in healthcare, I did work in technology, so not really with patients, um, but that gives me another interesting perspective on that field, too. For sure. Uh, but no, working with dogs, you know, I complain about it. It's always really sad to see a foster dog go, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's wonderful. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, and then, of course, what I'm here to talk about uh, is the fact that I have narcolepsy. Um, so I was diagnosed with narcolepsy, oh boy, I think about 12 years ago. Um, but narcolepsy, uh, I, I probably onset when I was 12 or 13. Um, narcolepsy usually takes, well, on average, it takes 8 to 22 years between the onset of the disease and diagnosis. Sorry, so what? 8 to 22 years, average. Uh, that's assuming you actually get a diagnosis. There's many comorbid conditions that could just result in you never finding out. Um, a good place to start would be to talk about what narcolepsy is, because that that's a huge part of the reason sure. that, it, that it takes so long to get diagnosed. 
I always thought when I was growing up that like I always I said oh, it would be great if I had narcolepsy and I would just get the stimulants that I needed and I'd be awake but but I don't have it because I don't faint I don't fall over like a fainting goat that was my impression of narcolepsy yeah, from TV and yeah cultural from TV references. cultural references other people kind of say oh so you just you just fall asleep sometimes randomly you just boop you just fall over and it's funny um, and that's not that's not it. Um, cataplexy is part of that narcolepsy, and cataplexy is that loss of muscle control. But most people who experience that don't fall down on the floor, they just, their head goes limp, okay. or they lose control of their hand, things like that. Um, the other thing that, uh, that's tough is that it's comorbid with so many other things. And I was even thinking about this before the podcast, where I feel more comfortable coming on talking about narcolepsy than if I came wanted to sit, come on and say, oh, I've suffered with anxiety and depression yeah. for, for you know 25 years. That would be more embarrassing, harder to share, people would be more judgmental, and it's almost like narcolepsy has helped me in that way, where I could say, hey, it's narcolepsy, and I'm like, oh, it's a sleeping disease, and I'm like, actually, no, there's mental health components, there's physical yeah. components, there's autoimmune components, it's a rare disease, um, and uh, and it's tough, and so the main symptoms are, of course, uh, what they call EDS, excessive daytime sleepiness, so you kind of fall asleep all the time, you have trouble staying awake, um, you can kind of fall asleep and fall over, um, and, you know, you'll see people just kind of nodding off and passing out. Um, you'll also have that loss of muscle control. And then you'll also have things like hallucinations, like when you're going to sleep. Some people have sleep paralysis. I luckily haven't had sleep paralysis. That does sound pretty scary. Yeah. Um, but it's basically a complete interruption of your sleep-wake cycle. And most people take that for granted and kind of view it as sleep is your responsibility. And if your sleep is bad, you stayed up too late, or you didn't do it. You know, you didn't. You drank coffee before bed. Yeah, don't eat fault. before nine p.m. Yeah, and, all and the so people, everybody views sleep as your responsibility and your fault, and I did too. Um, you know, I remember when I got fired from my first full-time job after college, and the boss said, "Look, if you don't care enough to get in here and stay awake and do your job, how can we? How's that fair to the other employees?" And I said, "Yeah, you're right. I mean, I can't. What can I say? Like, it's my fault." Um, and it didn't occur to him, it didn't occur to me that there could be a healthcare issue behind it. You weren't choosing to... Yeah. And to be fair, it, it was a mixed bag, because I was also in my 20s, I was also making bad choices, I was also going out and partying and having fun, so I was like, okay, it probably is my fault. So and, so are a lot of other people, exactly. you know? And it's where do you draw the line? Yeah. And how bad does it get, and how frequently does it happen, and again, how many years right. does it go on? So. 8 to 22. 8 to apparently. 22 for most people, if they get diagnosed. Um, and, and yeah, and that's that's also because diagnosis is is tricky and not straightforward. Um, I'll I'll just start with like kind of symptom onset, right? Because sure. that would probably be a, a like when I first noticed it, I had all I had experienced depression to some extent when I was a kid, and already when I was twelve or thirteen. Um, and uh, at, when I was thirteen, it seemed to hit. In a lot of cases for narcolepsy, getting the flu triggers it um, because it is an autoimmune disease okay. uh, where you're. Your body is attacking the neurons that contain orexin, or uh, which is the wakefulness chemical, um, and so that's what screws up your whole sleep-wake cycle. Okay. Um, so you get the flu, and then that kicks off a thing in your autoimmune system and your genetics that just starts attacking these neurons, and then essentially from that point, sleep doesn't work. And I, I mean, the way that I put it when I first found out is, it, 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 the, maybe the best narrative way to put it, it's as if somebody, put a, like a witch put a curse on you that just made your sleep stop working. And so it's like, it doesn't matter how much you sleep, doesn't matter when you sleep, because your sleep cycle will just shift randomly throughout the day, and it's outside of your control. And you're 13. Yeah. When you, like, and you have a lot going on hormonally for mm -hmm. different reasons, and school is tough. Oh. Kids are crueler then. And... Right. Oh, man. It was, um, and it was tough. You know, I was pretty good at school, and so I would fall asleep in class every day. Every day, all throughout high school, I fell asleep in at least two or three classes, and everybody was like, yeah, well, 
you don't care. You know, I mean, you're you're bored, so of course you're falling asleep. And you know, you're, you're always late to school too. So the classic, like, you're too smart, you're gifted. Yeah, yeah. The too smart. Is so stimulating yeah. enough. Yeah, which can, is like no. You can pass this class with one eye open, and here's mm -hmm. people like me, like studying every night, like people probably people, holding people it against mad. you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, and high school is a competitive place. Middle school is yeah. A competitive they they place. see it as it's seen as a flex to sleep through all your classes in high school and to be like one of the top. Pop students. quiz, you're like. Yeah. I'm going to ace this anyway. Yeah. Oh, no, I remember when I took the SAT and I would just, every section, I would finish it. Because I could just read fast and take tests fast. I'd finish it in like 20 minutes oh, and I'd just nap yeah. for the other 25 and then wake up for the next section. And then yep. people hated me for it. Um, and so that's the thing. So it's sort of like I viewed it outside like a sense of press. Yeah, I could do stuff when I'm asleep. Yeah. High school was fine, uh, but then college was much, much tougher. And then I was sort of, I didn't have kind of my parents there, like my, my high school friends to, to help me out. And so I was a little bit on my own. And the symptoms got really bad. Now, adding to this is the fact that I also became overweight because of potentially other autoimmune conditions involving my joints and stuff. Sure. Um, and so being overweight and having a sleep disorder is even harder because, it's, of course, it's sleep apnea, right? So you kind of go, okay, even if you go and get a sleep study, they can't rule out sleep apnea until they can prove the CPAP works. Yeah. Um, well, and it also adds another layer to the whole, like, stigma that you guys were bringing up before, too, where it's like, oh, you know, he's fat, he's lazy. I mean, you fat, know. lazy, sleepy. Yeah. For, for those <laughs> listening, I'm technically obese in my medical chart. So, yeah, I do think you probably, you're, like, rebranding when you go and to college. And it's going to change how the doctor treats you, yeah. too, when you try to seek, when you go, and even if you're going for regular appointments and stuff they're going to attribute some of those things they're not going to go oh maybe you have a unique condition they're just going to be like change your habits change your lifestyle you know kind right. of cliche yeah. which of course statistically they might be right like in Fair. most cases right in a lot of cases they could just be um and so so college was really tough and i still didn't have the diagnosis but i knew i had depression i got on ssris which are also used to treat narcolepsy because they actually inhibit your rem sleep Interesting. Um, so because your sleep cycle screwed up with narcolepsy, for most people, you don't hit REM sleep till later in the night, you know, so you have a, a one or two full cycles and then you start having some REM sleep and then you're dreaming at the end. Uh, because the erection is not there, your REM can just turn on whenever. Um, so when you're very tired, you can have kind of two things. One is micro sleep, so you just fall into deep sleep and that's where you're just blinking and you're waking up in different places and you're time traveling. Like the nods almost? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's a scary feeling. Yeah, it's, it's like, I, it's, in a weird way, it feels like I actually I nodded through my life until the diagnosis. Like it was literally, wow. I would just like blink and all through college, like I would, I would sit in a chair in like the lobby and I just blink and I just wake up 12 hours later, somebody be shaking and be like, hey man, are you okay? And I'd be like, sorry, I don't know what's happening. Um, so that was weird, right? So there's this That's sort of like really compressed timeline of like life, trying to do stuff and then failing. And then it got so bad that I ended up sleeping like at 1.16, 18 hours a day. I would go out for a few hours, kind of see my friends, do the bare minimum of homework that I had to do. Yeah. I don't know how, I don't know how I got a degree. I don't think anybody, well, I do know accommodations. We'll talk about that later. But I was able to get accommodations and eventually get through school with some complications and, uh, get my first couple jobs um, and then for each of those I was pretty quickly fired and so there was one where I was fired after a month for being late because I overslept there was another one where I got fired after six months um, and so that was tough and then eventually I ended up working on my masters and kind of refreshing myself so I'd spent this whole cycle of I'm smart I went to college everything fell apart and I didn't think I could do anything anymore. So then when I started doing my master's again, discovered that I'm actually pretty good at information systems. That was like a reawakening. 
Is that what your degree was in? Yeah, that, okay. that was my master's. Um, my, my undergrad was in decision science, but I ended up working in computers immediately anyway because I was just a tech guy. <laughs> so, so I got a, I got a job at kind of like a like a bigger company, right? Um, at, a, at a larger healthcare company, um, and it was a go to the office job, and I would go in every day um, in the morning, and I would end up just falling asleep at my desk for like six hours. And I had a one, I had three bosses in six months because they were sort of creating the department. Uh, so each of these bosses kind of saw it, but like they didn't weren't there long enough to do anything or okay. for it to matter. Um, but then finally, I had this boss, and he sent me down. He said, "Look, like I, I see what's you know, and you're coming in, and you're just falling asleep. Like, what's going on with you? Like, is something going on at home?" And I said, I, "You know, honestly, this has been happening to me for years. It's my entire life. It's been like this." And I don't know. He said, well, "Man, you need to go to a doctor. This is a health. This might be a health issue." And that moment, like whoa everything was it was like what like it could be a health issue it's not just me and it's tough because because you want it to be you right you want it to be like if i made a, the right choice yeah. my problems will go away that's easy it's a right? binary yes no. right it's like if i, I let it, it happen it, it's, you know if, if i just you know ate right went to sleep on time did what everybody told me then my problems would go away and therefore they're within my control mm -hmm. you know a diagnosis and what's scary about that is that all of a sudden it's no longer in your control yeah it's like nope you're you're stuck so i went and you're still like young at this point, so you don't want to think that yeah, I'm like you already have challenges mm -hmm. health wise. Yeah, but I still want to figure it out. And at the end of the day, I'm just looking for treatment where I'm like, look, I need stimulants or I need something to help me sleep or whatever, just something to help it work yeah. in addition to lifestyle changes. Um, so I did a sleep study. So to get diagnosed for narcolepsy, you do um, two things you do a sleep study and what's called a multiple sleep latency test and they're, they're kind of combined okay so the sleep study is the thing that everybody does where you go in the bed they strap all the electrodes slumber party it's super fun. <laughs> in the it's, basement and you have like all these wires hanging out to you i mean just I mean, like just like a normal night at home <laughs> yeah i mean now you can do them at home which is super cool uh, um and then and for that sleep study you can't be on any Psych, psych, psychiatric medications. So okay. I've been taking SSRIs for years and years for depression. So, so this this them. meant I got to go off of them for four weeks, six weeks, or something. So I'm like, okay, you know. And luckily, I have accommodations and able to use them. Um, I'm still but you had to, to do like a cost benefit analysis to say is this is worth it worth it finding out, right? Um, but and at the end of that, right? So then I'm off these meds that I've been relying on for depression for forever. I'm feeling terrible, and my sleep is completely broken and I go in for the sleep test. So then at this point, so first of all, they have to, first they have to rule out the sleep apnea, right? So I kind yeah. of skipped that, but I had sleep apnea, lost enough weight that it went away, but even with the sleep apnea, they, they did it with the mask at some point. Okay. But, um, so you go in, you do the sleep test, and they just have to make sure that you do actually have a regular night's sleep. It's not interrupted, because if you're having apnea, you're getting interrupted regularly, and that's waking you up, that's breaking your sleep, that's why. you're like stopping breathing, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So they have to make sure you're not stopping breathing and nothing else. So they're yeah, what is, looking what's at all the brain What's a quote-unquote regular night sleep, which is continuous? So it would be, uh, so it's more than that. It's about going through your sleep stages. So okay. you go from, you know, stage one to stage four of your deep sleep, and then you hit REM. And there's just a very typical pattern. You should have, you know, start with some light sleep, then a little deep sleep, and then, you know, it, it's there's like a graph of yeah. what it looks like. Um, so once they demonstrate you've done that, that's your sleep study. Then the MSLT is, okay, now you're unmedicated, now you're awake, and sit in a chair, and it's dark, and how long does turn it take? Turn the lights off. No, <laughs> no, really. No, that's the test. Okay. Sit in a chair, turn the lights off, how long do you, until you fall asleep? That's the test. Eight years, now, 22 years. Now, 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 a normal person, right, obviously, if you've woken up from a full night of sleep, and then, so then you're awake for like an hour and a half, right? So then they wake you up at eight and then like at 10, they're like, yeah. okay, we'll put you in a dark room, will you fall asleep? A normal person can't, 
can't go back to sleep at 10 in the morning, I, I assume. So for the NSLT, you need to fall asleep in, I believe it's under 15 minutes or under five minutes. Okay. So for me, it was like anywhere from two to four minutes of being in the dark, I'm out, I'm asleep. Yeah. So that shows that you have a sleep disorder. Then if you want to know if it's narcolepsy, you have to measure orexin, you have to do a spinal tap. But the treatment is the same whether you have narcolepsy or hypersomnia or something else that's okay. causing it. So it's like, why do a spinal tap and check the orexin levels when it won't impact your treatment? There are a lot of risks with a spinal tap as yeah. well. Things can exactly. go awry. So that's like a good choice. You know, yeah. it's like you want the certainty. It's like, oh, I don't want the certainty. So do you technically like in your electronic health record have a diagnosis of narcolepsy? Yes. Okay. It, it didn't is. matter that it wasn't also confirmed with... Yeah, okay. exactly. That's sort of like, you know, like, yeah. And it's, I don't know if it actually says narcolepsy with or without cataplexy, but again, that's not super relevant because cataplexy, I, I don't have it. Cataplexy would only be relevant if you actually have that full body faint. And that's when you have to like put it on your driver's license. Okay. Like, okay, I could faint while I'm driving, right? Okay. Um, I don't have that. Luckily, thank God. Please don't. <laughs> State of Ohio. Yeah. Please don't check on this. Not important. <laughs> really not an issue. I'm medicated. Um, so then, so you need a combination of stimulants and things to help you sleep. Um, so to help, I'd already be taking SSRIs. Um, you can also take, of course, Adderall. You can take Ritalin. This big medication that's often used for narcolepsy is called Xyrem, or it's uh, it's called uh, the chemical name is sodium oxybate. Okay. And Xyrem sodium oxybate is the precursor to GHB. GHB being what you've heard of as the date rape drug. Yes. Um, so that's what they give you for narcolepsy. <laughs> Roofies. You roofie yourself every night. Um, and not just that. Xyrem, being an orphan drug, costs an insane amount of money. It costs anywhere from uh, like nine to eight to $20,000 a month. What does orphan drug mean? Orphan drug means it would be too expensive to even manufacture it because it's so unprofitable. And so it's only through sort of like the government classification okay. and like grant programs that it's made at all. So like so few people have this disease. Because there are legitimate reasons to need to people need it, it, but there's no but there literally can't be a financial incentive for a pharmaceutical company to make it. Sure. So we just have to set these aside and that's like a particularly weird thing to think about, you know, it's like um but and so the other thing with Zyron though, it is GHB and so GHB isn't as it's not it's not like it it knocks you out, right? It actually really messes you up. Like it really like you get wild. That's I took it for several. I took it for like more than a year, and eventually my wife was like, "This is too much." Like you like you just you get up in the night and you're just insane and you're like stomping around saying things and I'm like I don't remember any of this. I don't know what's happening. It's a very intense drug. Um, I watch a lot of Law and Order SVU, and that's where it, like that's my frame of reference though is that it's it, like victims yep. explaining yep. what they remember or don't or. Yeah. What they're questioning if that really happened or not. Yeah, yeah it is a bit like that. Uh, but and you it, tried I mean, that people, for a year. Yeah, yeah, longer than that, I think. But, wow. And at the maximum dose for a while, which was Whoa. really intense. Um, now, it did work, right? It does what it does is it increases your, your deep sleep. Okay. Because um, that's really what you're lacking. You, you, have, you end up with too much REM sleep if you have narcolepsy because your REM turns on and off randomly. And you ne don't get enough of that deep stage four sleep. Okay. So this messes you up and helps you get to that sleep. Um, it did help with weight. Well, the other thing is like then you're kind of buzzed all day too. It's it's a very weird okay. drug, so it works. And if you have very bad narcolepsy, it's definitely a good thing to do. When I didn't have other drugs worked out to make it work for me, it was very helpful. But I'm glad I don't have to take it anymore. It was still an improvement over what you had been doing before. Yeah. The funniest thing though, the biggest improvement in my medication that I had, um, and this is about about at this time. This is you know a few years into this. I'd stopped taking Zyrem, 
And it was a nurse practitioner. And I was just saying, you know, I'm having trouble staying awake. I'm taking my SSRI in the morning. And she said, oh, some people say, you know, they, they do better if they take that at night. And at the time, I hadn't put together any of that REM inhibition and stuff like that. I just tried that, and I didn't need Zyrem anymore. By, by just taking the SSRI at night instead of in the morning. It was like, Man. and I'm like, how could it... So you take for granted that it's... Like, the best should be on the label. Right. Or, like, it should be, like, you need to consider taking it a different yeah. amount today will affect you differently. But or let's that, be like, real. When when someone at the pharmacy is like, hey, do you need to consult the pharmacist? Like, like do no, you say yes? Or you're no. just like, ring me up and let mm -hmm. me get on with it. No. And the thing is, you know, I mean, I wonder if, if I did say yes, would it be helpful? Maybe it would. Right. <laughs> so, so, yeah. So, so getting to diagnosis is crazy. Um, and then... Um, yeah, and then you, then at that point you got to figure out treatment, and then it's it's still you know I'm still adjusting my meds now and then and trying different things and sort of adding one thing or with the support of your boss, right? This is still at the same. Yeah. Place oh, oh, sorry, I, I won't jump you. That's okay. That's it, okay. It continues. You're yeah. Good. So, so so yeah, at this time, I mean, I actually feel bad because this boss was so supportive, and because of his help, I got the accommodations. I I managed to start improving. And I ended up getting another offer inside the company, and ended up leaving after six months for, for like you know a you know a career advancement. And I was like, I that's, feel, that's showbiz, folks. Just like, Man. Sorry, like, um, <laughs> yeah. but but you know, and but yeah. You know, so then you know, it's it, yeah. So it, he was know. the right boss at the right time to help you like jumpstart. Yeah, to really on your like hair. get my career, you know, unstuck. Yeah. Right? So, so yeah. So that was that was huge. <laughs> Okay. But you're within the same employer where you already have the accommodations established. Yeah. And I wonder if everyone listening like understands what do we mean when we say accommodations. Ooh, no, oh, that's a great one because accommodations have been really important. So I'll just first say in college, if it weren't for accommodations, I absolutely would have failed out. Like I straight up was going to fail out without accommodations. Um, and thank God. And I got them for depression at the time. Oh, I'm sorry. That's okay. <laughs> um, yeah. But, but yeah, so I, I got combinations. Uh, it's good. It's depression. a resource, and you um, were using them, and you've used them multiple ways. Yeah. No, it, it was, uh, you know, and it was super critical. And again, I still kind of barely made it through. Um, I, I didn't, even having done that, I didn't think about that in the workplace. Or even, you know, I guess it didn't even occur to me. I was like, well, I'm not going to ask for depression accommodations at work, which do is a terrible mind, thing to say. Do you mind sharing, like, what they... Um, oh yeah, yes. How they assisted you in college yeah. to meet you where you were. So in college, I mean, the big thing was, of course, attendance, right? It was just super hard for me to get to class, so I needed some sort of exception for that, and I needed workarounds to sort of make up for work I couldn't make. You know, this was you know in the days before lots of online classes mm -hmm. and stuff, so you you did have to go there to take the tests and stuff. And so if I missed an exam or something, I need room to get that. But yeah, it was largely about attendance and just being able to kind of asynchronously complete the classwork. Okay. Um, and that, that was huge. When uh, when I was at that larger company, though, those accommodations were, were much more important. And that was one thing I liked about the healthcare company is that there were a lot of advocates internally for it. Okay. So when I did reach out to HR, I said, okay, here's what you could do. Here's the resources. Here's the forms. And, uh, you know, and they worked with me. And then, you know, of course, the tough part is you do have to work with your doctor. Your doctor has to kind of say, here are the things that you actually need. Right. And document them. And then they have to come to an agreement that this is... You know, again, reasonable accommodations should be reasonable, um, but they should help you get the job done. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, and so at that company, they they definitely did, and it was huge. That again, there that was also an attendance thing. It was just much easier for me to work from home. Okay. I ended up working with a team that was in a different city anyway, so okay. I was able to work remotely kind of before it got cool um, in the twenty twenties, <laughs> um, and Being that that was huge yeah. in uh, in allowing me to continue to grow my career. And some like a sync. 
work yeah. as well. It didn't all need to be at the same exact time. Yeah. It, was like as, it was like as long as long as I'm in the meetings that I need to yep. be, then if I need to nap during the day. And that's actually the biggest, and this kind of relates to the title of the episode, The one of the funny things about narcolepsy that they tell you is that your doctor can prescribe you naps. <laughs> and that's that's what your accommodation is, right? So your doctor basically writes you, a, not a prescription, but an accommodation note saying you need to take naps during the day. Right. And you, that's what you need, and you get it. And then it's like, you know, and what's tough is, you know, it could be tough with an employer, well, you know, especially if you're in a scheduled or shift job. Right. It would be very difficult because you can't schedule the naps with narcolepsy. So you don't know when you're just going to get hit with, like, a wave of exhaustion or just... Uh, you know, kind of not be able to think clearly anymore and just sort of, you know, am I just going to sit here and sort of glaze at the screen or can I just go lie down for 20 yeah. minutes and try to feel better? Um, so it's important to take naps <laughs> to, to deal with narcolepsy, but it's also one of those things where you're like, oh, what does the doctor say? I'll take a nap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it like sounds absurd, but it's like what your body requires. May I ask, like, how did you choose to navigate? So with HR, right, that's who you're going through the correct paperwork to file for the accommodation and get approval, and it's like a handshake between you, your healthcare provider, and your employer. But how did you choose to handle conversations with, like, your coworkers or even your newer boss, mm -hmm. right? You're not obligated to disclose everything to them. Absolutely. So how did you choose to oh, handle that's, that? You know, and that's, that's a tricky question, and one that I've... Uh, encountered good and bad experiences with um so i don't know it my very first experience with accommodations was very bad from the boss but very good from hr where i basically said look part of my accommodations i, I have this i have narcolepsy um i may need to uh you know sleep in like i may need to to kind of move my schedule forward and my boss's boss at the time said to me what well you know, I think he said in an email, well, like, everybody likes like would, would like to be able to sleep in. And I was just like, right, we're talking about accommodations here. <laughs> like this isn't like you have a, a medical uh, diagnosis. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying not like this would be fun and that personal preference. And so that oof, that ended up creating some blowback, right? But that did clear enough space for me then to kind of sure. say, okay, I'll establish a role here, and you know things shifted around. Um, but yeah, that was that was unpleasant. Um, so it's just tough, you know. It's like you can share with them the truth, or you can not. It's a personal decision, and it could depend on the thing. For me, with narcolepsy, because it's so unknown and rare, I've always chosen to share it because people haven't heard of it. Um, so that's there's a little bit of advantage to that. So they sort of they don't know what to think. Um, but then also, you know, I want more people to know about it because if I had known more about it earlier, it would have been better for me too. Yeah. Well, they know the sleeping goat on mm -hmm. TV, exactly. whatever that like '90s references. I think we take for granted too. It's 2023. Looking back, when you're growing the 2000s people didn't talk about health as much so i think it's tough for me hearing your story and not having been there or known you then just you're always fighting the perception that you're choosing this for yourself yeah yeah but the awareness is probably people like you who are like you know this person may view or treat me differently after I share this, but at least they have this nugget of information. They can say yep. they know someone. It's not a butt of a joke on oh, TV. Man. It's a real diagnosis. I just You made me think of, so the, the worst experience I've had with accommodations was um, a boss that I had where I chose to tell her. I said, hey, look, I have this disorder. Um, you know, I can go for accommodations, but, you know, I know it was a very remote sort of flexible environment, so um, I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and file them, but I just want to let you know. Um, and then a week later, she came back to me. She said, oh, so I, I read that strong emotions could trigger it, so, so we better keep you calm. 
and I had already been having like all of this stressful back and oh forth with her, and I was like, I mean, she ended up drumming me out of the company in two months anyway. But you so can perceive that almost as a threat, where it's like, oh, oh like, I got to keep you calm, so I'm not going to give you this like high profile project, or I'm going to give you limited growth opportunities, because it's. And I went to and I went to HR about it, and there that company's HR said, well, she didn't say anything wrong. And I said, okay. <laughs> uh, by, by the way, HR works for the employer, in oh, case people yeah. have forgotten that. But I think what's tough is, so I'm a mid-level people manager, and it's it's almost hard how could you understand your employee and meet them where they are and set them up for success if you don't know. So that's, mm-hmm. like, hard for oh, yeah. you because, like, you've had negative and positive experiences, but, like, you could have had a relationship where she didn't know and maybe she's trying to like ding you in performance reviews or something but then hr would be like that's not applicable or something like i it's just interesting all the different dynamics that you have to juggle professionally in addition to what you're already juggling personally probably in you know so many different relationships outside of the job yeah no i mean it's and you can definitely again you know i've put my i've definitely ended up in bad political situations because i've advocated for myself and at the end of the day you can just kind of have to believe in yourself that you will continue to have a career even if something goes wrong you know because i'm talking about the things that were bad but like i said there have been many bosses i've had who have been incredibly supportive um who have been happy to reschedule meetings for me you know my current boss is always at you just like if you need to move something don't yeah. worry about it um but have you have you ever given yourself credit for the resiliency in your early twenties when you first started your career? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I guess. Dude, getting fired twice right out of school, like <laughs> that, 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 you know, getting let go in adulthood ten years into your, my career is was enough of an ego blow. Like when mm. you're starting out, man, that's a. That was, yeah, it, to me, it's like you have some sort of fire in your belly that you're like, this isn't gonna define me. Yeah. No, it was just, I don't, I, and it's funny because I don't. Well, and, and needing to pay bills is also a really good incentive it, to hit the it, pavement. But, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I was almost, I mean, I, you know, like, you know, I'm a little bit, little bit like dark triad personality. I mean, part of it was a little bit like, I don't want to say revenge, but like, I wanted to prove the people wrong who didn't believe in me. This is my origin story. Yeah, yeah just like thanks per, for person, the material. person after person, just like, you know, like, you're, you're smart, but like, you know, yeah. like, we don't really believe in you. Like, you're just, you're never going to get it together. And it's just like after enough people think that about you, you know, and you have a couple of friends who don't, luckily. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, you you get a little bitter, and you're just like, no, like I'm not gonna, you know. And it was the same thing uh, when I was at that big company, and then I, I kind of found out, and then I ended up in that first situation where the boss said something bad, and it was a weird political thing. And yeah. I was like, I could just kind of stop and just kind of do the bare minimum, collect my paycheck. Yeah. But I can't. I can't. Thank you for listening to your healthcare so broken episode two part one. I hope you also find Kathan to be as resilient and inspiring as I did. It was really sort of unbelievable just to hear how much he's had to overcome and how he stayed pretty positive throughout the entire experience. In part two, we'll dig a little deeper into the employee resource group, how um, Kathan decided to lean in to disability in the workplace and pave his own leadership opportunities through ERGs as well as medication management, among other more actionable topics for anyone who finds themselves similarly navigating workplace accommodation and chronic disease management.